0: That's your brain. All kinds of conflicts going in there. There's battles going on, right? Uh, telling you this way, that way. You know what you believe, and yet here's your feelings. and all. We're all over the page when it comes to our feelings. But this month of July, we're talking about inside out. What do we do with all these inside things we feel? What well, we do that in the light of who we're called to be in Jesus Christ? And so Luke told me I had to do this one on doubt, Now, I had my doubts about doing this, for sure, but he gave me the benefit of the doubt and said without a shadow of a doubt that I could do this. I still had my questions. Uh, Beyond a reasonable doubt, I knew I had my doubts. Now, I'm no doubting Thomas, but I can be a doubting Steve sometimes, and uh, you might think, well, you're a preacher. You would have questions. You have struggles. You have doubts. Without a doubt, I do. And so we're going to be doing fears and tears and anger and guilt. I've told Luke he's got to do guilt because I'm with him every day. I see all the sinning in his life, and he needs to do the one in guilt. So that's how we're going to play it out. But anyway, through this, uh, through this series, we want to take a look in a healthy way. What do we do with a myriad of feelings we have? We're going to do five of them. We could be all year and dealing with a lot of our feelings, but I'm thankful we can do it in the atmosphere of faith and trust and the knowledge of God and who he is. Now, there are two primary ways that, that people deal uh, or respond to their feelings. One is the religious way, and the religious way is to deny them, to act like, I don't really, I'm not, that's not really true. My wife will often tell me how I feel, and I say, I do not, but she's usually right. <laughs> and what I'm doing, I'm, try, I'm denying because it doesn't sound very godlike. We're like that somehow. I'm angry. I shouldn't be angry. A good Christian shouldn't be angry, so we stuff it, right? Or I shouldn't be depressed. My mom was kind of, she was a godly woman, but she'd say, I just can't understand how a Christian could ever be depressed. Really, mom? talk to Elijah, you know, talk to the Apostle Paul, you know, then maybe get a clue a little bit. Uh, We have all kinds of feelings. Feelings are neither good nor bad. They just are. And to stuff them is not healthy. Now, the secular way to deal with feelings is unhealthy. The secular way is to enlarge upon them or make them sovereign or follow your feelings. So whatever you feel is justifiable and just respond to life based on your feelings. If you're angered, just vent it any way you want to. You have a right for that. And so, so the challenge is not to be overawed by your feelings nor deny your feelings. There's a healthy way to deal with our feelings, and that is to deal with them in the presence of 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 God himself to work through them in light of scripture god is the one who created us with the capacity to feel and because of that to work work them out in his presence is the best thing that we do. So here's our Psalm for today. It's Psalm 73. Uh, look at your device and pull it up on U Version or whatever you have, uh, or, or the Scripture itself. Psalm 73. It's written by Asaph. We often think that David wrote all the Psalms. He didn't. There were other writers of the Psalms, and Asaph writes a, a few. He's a musician as well. And you'll hear from his words that he's struggling, just like you and I do sometimes. He says, "Surely God is good to Israel." to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths they claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I kept my heart pure, I've washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept over by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. A couple of weeks ago, I had my physical. And... uh, you know, I, I'm sure every doctor does it differently. But one thing you can be sure when you have a physical, he's going to check two things uh, right on. And that'll be your heart and your mind, especially when you're my age, mind, emphasis on mind. And so he listened to my heart from all directions, looked at EKG, looked at blood work. I'm a fine specimen. Uh, and, and he tested my mind, wanted me, gave me three words at the beginning that I had to remember at the end of the physical. Uh, I had to count backwards by seven, starting from 100. I had to name all the presidents starting from President Trump and go as far back as I could. I got back pre-Civil, pre, pre-Civil, pre-World uh, War II. 99% better than the rest of you, he told me. <laughs> I may not remember your name, but I know the presidents. That's for sure. All right. The, uh, the but you, and you know, we're going to study these Psalms, and as we do, we are entering the examination room of the great physician, and the two things he cares about most are our hearts and our minds. Do we love him without our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with our whole being, and our minds resolutely established on the truth of who he is, his very existence? There's nothing more important than those very two things today. And so, that, that's, what, that's where we want to land. We want to land well through this study. And I trust that we will as we focus on the Word of God and are real with who we are. Now, I, get, I have white coat syndrome. Anybody have white coat syndrome? Yeah, you don't want to admit it to you. I can tell you. I, I'm not ashamed of that. My blood pressure goes sky high when I go to the doctor's office. And I could be going to question a freckle and my blood pressure goes up, you know. And, uh, but there's a great feeling, you know, we leave the examination room and you get a prescription that's going to make you feel better, or you get a good report, you, go, you, you move out exhilarated. And that's how I hope we'll leave the Psalms, as, after we spend time with our great physician, that he, he gives us a good report and we have some way to know to live so that we're going to be healthy before him. So let's consider this, this, this issue of doubt when we struggle with questions with God And about God. What's the appropriate response? What do we do? Let's start with the condition itself of doubt. Asaph wrote Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Now, you don't lose a foothold on even ground. Now, you may stub your toe and you may trip, but you don't lose your foothold. You only lose your foothold when you're climbing. And that's what the picture of being a disciple of Christ is. As a follower of Jesus, we're always climbing. It's an upward, it's, a, it's an ascent we're taking closer to the heart of God and who he is as a, as a real living God who is actively involved with us today. And so together, when we, Asaph says, as I'm walking, I about lost my grip. Now, I don't know what Asaph's situation is. He's not talking. We don't know if it's a health situation. It's an emotional dilemma. There's been death in his family. Uh, it's just uh, economically. He's, you can lose your foothold with God in a number of ways. Satan can attack from every direction, and you can almost lose your foothold because you think, man, I'm going to church all the time. You know, I, I gave my life to Christ. I'm serving him. How come this is happening in my life? If you've ever felt that way, That's where Asaph was. Know these two things. First of all, doubts happen to anybody. They happen to anybody. If if you don't know where you are with Christ, in other words, maybe you're just investigating. You don't know if you even want to be a Christian or not. You're just checking things out. Um, Any doubt you may have does not make you unqualified to come to Jesus. Okay? Please know that. There's one question you have to answer well, and that is, who is Jesus? Now, I can't answer you all the questions about creation. I can't give you the answers on how it all was done, dinosaurs, you know, I can have a little bit to say about that, the great flood, and all that. We'll spend our lifetime uh, just wrestling with all those kinds of things, but this we must know, the identity of Jesus, and if he is the Son of God, the true Son of God, who came to save us from our sins, I've got to get to him. Then I have the rest of my life to ask questions and to wrestle and to read and to learn and to grow and that sort of thing. So that's where we're going Now, if you are a believer, if you are in Jesus Christ, doubts don't disqualify you from being a follower of Jesus. We have struggles. We wonder, we wonder why things happen the way they do, and and, and that's it's always that's always been true, um, you know. Uh, it's 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 in doubting that we are forced to wrestle with truth, and we can emerge stronger people of faith. If we never have any questions, if we ever never have any struggles, if we never have doubts, I'm not sure our faith can ever get real strong. It's out of the questions that we grow. Now, second thing to keep in mind is that doubts give birth can give birth to strength or paralysis. You get to decide if you're going to be stronger through your doubts, or be hardened in your doubts. Now, Asaph lands well. Verse twenty-six, he says, "God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." When I was in Ghana several years ago, uh, Enoch. My Ghanaian brother, many of you know, and remember he's been here a lot of times, he said, you're going to preach tonight outside the village. We were in northern Ghana. And now, you know, I, you don't tell me that on the spur of the moment. I had this preaching professor that said, you're going to get to the point in preaching that if somebody says an hour or 10 minutes before uh, I need you to preach, within 10 minutes, you'll have three points in a sermon. Ain't never happened to this boy. I just want you to know. Now, I, 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 I admire some preachers and how they preach without notes. I cannot do that. And I write a full manuscript every week, and, I, and then I reduce it to that. That's all you get to see right there. Uh, I reduce it to notes that make sense to me. They wouldn't make sense to you, uh, but they do to me. And sometimes it says, talk loud here. They're falling asleep. I'll write that in the margin sometimes. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but anyway, I, I, so he says, you're going to preach. All I could think of, ooh, I don't have anything ready. And so I, uh, whatever time we had, I just got to sit down and scribble some notes. Then it, then it dawned on me, I'm going to be in dark Africa at 8.30. There's no electricity. And I'm going to be in darkness preaching no notes. Ah! And that's when I started praying that Jesus would come back before 8.30. And everything would be cool, right? So 8.30 comes, and I was so happy that no one was there. And so I said to Enoch, well, I guess we could go. He goes, oh, no, 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 they'll come. And so I waited and waited. And finally, there was a little African guy that started coming down the dusty road. I thought, well, I can handle one, I guess. You know. Within a half an hour, there were hundreds. Oh, you know what I learned? That I could preach in the darkness. Because I had to. And you know, my brothers and sisters, you can keep worshiping in the darkness. You can sing in the darkness. You can keep faithfully serving in the darkness. You can keep choosing joy in the darkness. You can keep loving Jesus in the darkness. There is darkness in the course of our lives to come. When the answers don't come, you wonder if prayers are being heard. You wonder what God is up to. God, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you know what I'm going through? You keep trusting and loving him, and don't, don't question that he cares about you, he cares about you deeply. So your doubts can give birth to greater strength. Or they can lead to paralysis. Elizabeth King wrote an article on the Washington Post a couple of years ago. Elizabeth had grown up in the Lord. And then uh, she, she chose to walk away from him and become an atheist. And she wrote this article for the Washington Post. It was titled, entitled, I'm an atheist, so why can't I shake God? And she confesses, quote, that woven into our psyche is a sense for God. That God is a lingering presence. And she said, if I could banish this figure from my psyche, I would. And she concludes this way, I have no choice but to accept that I'm an atheist with a sense for God. Now, I would call Elizabeth King an obnoxious doubter. You see, there's honest doubting and there's obnoxious doubting. The obnoxious doubter is the one who says, I have all these questions and you're not going to get me to go any further because there's no way I can, you can give me answers for that. And so they choose disbelief, unbelief. It's a choice they make because they have all the questions. In the context of faith, we can have doubt, but we're choosing. Look, I don't understand you, God. I don't have a figure, but I know I don't have anything but anybody else to go to that's gonna give me words to life other than you. So I'm sticking with you because you're the best thing in my life. That's the honest doubter. Now, whether God will ever answer our doubts, I don't know. In this earth existence, Job had all these problems in his life. God never told him why he was suffering. He never promised him an answer. He never gave him one. Maybe we'll know in eternity. Maybe not. I don't know for sure. But all I do know is he is enough. You remember Philip met Jesus. We meet him in the Gospel of John. John. And when Philip met Jesus, he went and got Nathanael. He said, Nathanael, we found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said, what? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You must be joking. And Philip just said, come and see. He was in essence saying, Nathanael, I know it doesn't make sense. We've been longing for the Messiah, the Savior to come. You're right. Nothing good comes from that. This doesn't make sense. But let's go check it out. And we'll put all the pieces together then. And so out of even Nathanael's doubting, he became a strong disciple of Jesus. And you can as well. Then we have the cause of doubt. Verse 3, Asaph writes, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. My wife, a few weeks ago, was dealing with with vertigo. And uh, vertigo, how many of you have had vertigo? It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, you just... You, you, you can't function. You you, you can't operate. Uh, you st- you you're, whatever you're experiencing out here with your eyes, what you're seeing doesn't gel with what your brain is, is the, 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 what your brain is being told. Right? There's a disparity. So you you are ineffective in your life. You can't function. What Asaph is experiencing is some spiritual vertigo. We come together today and we we sing these truths. We sing about God's goodness. We're gonna keep reminding each other about his faithfulness, about his love, as being a foundation. And then we go out of here and we live life and the week isn't so great. And just like Asaph, we see people, we see the world, we see evil getting a foothold. We see them, evil people we work with. So we see promotions happen and people who are dishonest and who don't have integrity. We're trying to do our best to live for Jesus and we're overlooked for the promotion. We're trying our best to manage our money well and crises keep happening and we wonder how all the bills are going to be paid. You know, we, we're doing our best to raise our kids, and yet they're influenced by the world, and we see, you know, where, who's winning here, God? There's the disparity that happens, and this spiritual vertigo, you know, uh, sets in. Verses 4 through 11, Asaph writes about all of that. We, we read it together. He's hurting. Verses 13 and 14 read, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In other words, it wasn't worth it. Here, I gave my life to you. I followed you. In vain, he says, I've washed my hands in innocence all day. Ever felt like that? God, I gave my life to Jesus. How come my marriage isn't better? God, I said I love you. How come How come my kid's sick again? It goes on and on, all kinds of things we could say. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. He doesn't, he doesn't say we walk by faith and not reason. Because faith is Reasonable. We reason through faith so that we can think clearly. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes about a lady who's dating a guy. He's a real charmer. And uh, she's got 20 other women around her saying, don't trust this guy. Uh, he's not worth it. He, he's going he's gonna to leave you high and dry. But, man, he's treating her so well. And she's thinking, oh, I'm the exception. I know he really loves me. Now, there's no reason why she shouldn't believe these 20 friends of hers that have been shirked by this guy. So she chooses to follow her heart rather than what, what, what these are logically, reasonably telling her. What, what they have, what they, in other words, she's, she's listening to audio of, of her friends, but she's got the hunk on video. <laughs> and she's going for him. See, that, that's what happens in life. As we come together, we hear God's word, but we experience life, there's a disparity. And if we're not careful, we start leaning toward what life experience, where it's taking us. And you got to be careful. you got to be careful. So what do we do? Asaph gives us four ways to deal with this. First of all, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. He says, I envied the arrogant. And maybe that was Asaph's clue to wake up. Envying, arrogant people? Does that even make sense? It doesn't make sense. So he's questioning. He's working through his doubts. And as he does, he keeps thinking. Now now think about this, Asaph. I mean, do you really want to live this life they're living of injustice and lack of character and evil and wickedness? Is that really the path you want to choose? He's doubting his doubts. We have to do that in life, friends. We have to think through our feelings and work them out. Second, he entered the temple. Verse 17 says, he entered the sanctuary. What do you do when you're in a sanctuary? You worship. You ever feel like not coming to church? Oh, you don't want to admit it, do you? It sounds too unchurchy, doesn't it? Of course you have felt that way. You get up, you're too tired. You had a rotten week. You don't feel like praising God. Maybe you're ticked at him because he hasn't answered your prayer. Or you got your feelings hurt the last time you were at church. A lot of things come in and interfere with all of this. But somehow you say, no, I need to get there. And you're grouchy all the way and you walk in. And what happens? Man, I'm sure glad I went today. Who's that happened to before? Yes. Why does that happen? There's something about the experience of being with God's people in the atmosphere of faith and truth that gives us an energy for our lives. And just like just like in the world, when we leave this place, we're going to experience life and all of its questions and doubts is going to bring up all kinds of struggles. We're going to wonder about God and all that. Now, if we, if we live there and then we're going to skip church next week or skip our life group, skip being with believers this week, because I don't like what God's doing. What's gonna happen? You're just gonna go down deeper. Even when you don't feel like even with your dog tired, the kids were up all night. You do your best to be in the assembly because this makes you think straight again. It helps you stay on track, stay helps you stay on course. Let's make sure we do that. Third, compare your options. Compare your options. Think about ultimately, think about the wicked. What's the end? That's what Asaph started saying. You know, verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. When we go to Lake Erie, often, well, you know, we walk, especially when our grandkids are there, these, these stones across the shore, and we just walk on those rocks. Now, they want gramps to do it, you know, and so I'll do it sometimes. And those big ones, I'm, I, it's okay. I'm sweating about the grandkids. They're jumping, lulping all along, and not me, you know, I'm, you know. Those smaller rocks, I want to make sure they're not going to give when I step on it, right? I want to make sure I'm not going to go down, and that's how we live our lives because there's a lot of junk out there, and it's a slippery. It's there's a slippery place. There's slippery places to stand all over the course of our lives, and you can start thinking and living any of us by a world philosophy that's going to take us nowhere. And that's why we have to keep coming back to the source of truth, the person of Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember the options. You want to go that direction of the wicked and the evil and count God out? There is no footing there. And you're going down in that direction. And finally, take his hand. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Asaph knew to do that. He felt for it. You know, sometimes it's like that when you struggle. You're feeling for the hand of God, you know. You're trying to hold on to something. You want to get to something. You want to get to him somehow. You're, you're reaching. You're, you're trying. And then you finally, you finally take hold of it. And that's what Asaph is doing through this psalm. He is reaching. He's feeling for God's hand. Is it, is it there? Yes, it's there. Asaph knew, even when he was doubting, that he was being treated like a son, and you see, that's why when you come to Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him, he has a hold of you and he will hold you through all the struggles, the questions, the doubts of your life. And if you don't have them today, you're going to face them again because that's the accuser, Satan himself. He loves to get us to question the love of God and the presence of God and the wisdom of God and the counsel of God. That's just how he operates. He wants you to leave here and leave this all behind in the temple. Asaph would have been reminded of the sacrifice being made in the temple on behalf of people. Sometimes we sing in this worship service, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you remember what we sing? Part of it is, I dare not trust the sweetest frame What's that what's a frame I trust I've taught you before that that word frame when the hymn writer wrote that it means experience I dare not trust the sweetest finest experience of life I can't trust my experiences but I will wholly lean on Jesus name and then we sing when darkness seems to hide his face I trust on his unchanging grace Friends, darkness does hide his face sometimes. You've been there. Maybe you're there today. Because of life experiences, you just can't sense God. There's sometimes in our journey of faith, God, are you really there? Darkness is hiding his face. Nevertheless, we're going to trust his grace. How? How can we possibly do that? I tell you why. Because the darkest day of this world was when Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to a cross. And he himself doubted. From 12 o'clock noon until 3 in the afternoon, the Bible says, darkness fell across the earth. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God hid his face from his son. In fact, he let go of his own son's hand that day. So that through all the seasons of our lives of questions and doubts, we would know we never have to let go of God's hand and he would never let go of ours. That's the blessing of living in the shadow of the cross. And when you do, you can sing with Asaph, God is my strength and my portion forever. If you're not growing to love Jesus, you need to run to him and let him be your strength forever.